Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. Good morning. It is great to be together today, isn't it? Ah, <laughs> uh, because we get to be a church that is pursuing uh, this idea. We're starting a series today called um, Gracious Resistance. And we're talking about the life and the legacy of Daniel. We're gonna kind of look at the story. Uh, Daniel's a very uh, simple book in some ways, and it's extremely complex in other ways. It's a narrative in the beginning, and that crazy revelation, apocalyptic literature at the end. And uh, you're gonna kind of see how, how this unfolds over the next um, few weeks together. And, I guess to begin, I assume many of you probably know something about Daniel, and the most uh, common thing we know about Daniel is Daniel was in what? A lion's den, right? Daniel got thrown into a lion's den. But Daniel really reads more like a political thriller. It's this collision of two ways of doing life. And so part of, as we think about this, this what we're gonna learn from Daniel, um, it is this idea of gracious resistance of what is it that we're to resist? What is it we're to, to, um, to hold fast to and what, is, what do we hold fast to these things for? Uh, if you've been around Port City for very long, um, I often talk about, we know that we believe that we want to learn to do life with God together for the world. There's something we offer to the world, but the world we need to understand operates in a particular system, the ways of the world. And we could spend a lot of time talking that we're gonna share a few in just a moment. But there's a, there's a governing system, there's some thing, operating system that exists in the world in which we live. And what we have been called, the, the scriptures talk about like this, it says we have been delivered from the, the kingdom of darkness and into the dominion or the domain of the sun. There's all this rule and reign and authority language in what has happened. And so even the, the way Jesus talked about it, he establishes it as a kingdom, which in and of itself is a rule or a reign, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And so there's these sort of two things that um, we have to understand. We've done a lot of work on this over the years, but essentially today to recognize these are two different systems. And they're not two different systems about what you agree on or disagree on. They're not two different systems by which you put you know, certain issues on one side of, the, of the, ta uh, the table and other issues on the other side of the table. These are two fundamentally different ways of allegiance, what rules and governs our hearts and our attitudes and our actions and what forms us and what shapes us. A lot of these passages you'll see when Paul starts to write about this, he'll say things like, we set our minds on the heavenlies or in these high places where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And what he means is to incline our minds to this place where God's rule exists, where his reign happens, and then take our cues and our allegiances and our responses from him. That's, that's the pattern that we're given um, throughout the scriptures. And so as we begin, so what I wanna do today as we begin, I'm gonna kind of share, I'm gonna push pretty hard. Um, some of what I'm gonna share today, the last, you know, when I got to a place in my life where I felt like um, God had changed me enough and I was like a good person, like 
there's, there's a lot of, well, let me just hold, hold on there. Let me, let me say this first. When we think about what is, what's required of us, um, I want for us to simply consider some things. I, some of what I'm gonna say today, you might disagree with, you might have to wrestle with further, but I, but I want for you to at least consider this. I'm gonna talk about this from a, an angle that perhaps we're not familiar with. And so it's gonna feel a little bit perhaps, um, uh, it's gonna rub a little bit and I think all that's okay. And when I talk about gracious resistance, I'm not talking about some kind of overthrow. We're not some kind of, we don't have to get back in our teenage angsty days. Some of you aren't too far removed from those, uh, both in age and in maturity. I'm just kidding. And, um, you know, we don't have to stick it to anybody. It's a gracious resistance I want us to learn from, I want us to begin to, to contemplate or understand. I am, I'm advocating for us. And what I want for us is to understand that we live in a real world. You have jobs and responsibilities. You go to work, you teach school, you um, work in, within your family to create a culture, to raise children, to be married, all the things that you do. So if you're in college and high school, middle school, all these things we live, we inhabit a world. And we inhabit a world in which we as human beings have been given dominion. We've been given a, an, a responsibility and authority to rule and to create and to cause. And whichever system we allow to govern us, is which system is going to end up governing us in the world. So I want us to pay really close attention to this. Um, as, and it's peculiar to those of us who follow Christ and who gather as his church. This is a really peculiar thing about us that we have been given a responsibility to act faithfully and to act redemptively. And so we need to know and understand what it means to do both of those things, to do both of those things. Um, as we kind of jump in, if you have your Bibles, we're gonna be in the book of Daniel. Daniel is about uh, midway through your Bible, just to the right of that. Um, you'll get through Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. So like right in, toward the middle. Look in, and it's also on our app. If you have that, you can um, flip there. And then if I get, you get bored of me, you can just like scroll through whatever your feed is. We talk about, we've, we've used this for years, but the, the, the Lausanne Covenant is a, a, a document that basically tries to gather uh, what the church um, has historically believed in some things to unify the church's position on some of the essential doctrines of Christ and the church, et cetera. And one of the foundational statements in this that was written in 1974 is this statement right here. It says that God has been calling out. I think this is a great statement for us to start with. God has been calling out from the world the people for himself and sending his people back into the world to be his servants and his witnesses. For us to learn how to live and what I'm gonna suggest, for us to sort of live faithfully and to act redemptively, it's gonna require some courage. It's gonna require tremendous patience. It's going to require tremendous discernment, something I think is really lacking in our world just in general. We just have very little discernment about anything. We are so captivated by whatever grabs our attention in the immediacy and then we just jump on it. Very little reflective thought pervades our culture. Discernment, to be able to discern. It's gonna require tremendous shrewdness. And people ask me all the time, I can predict how certain things go. It's not hard. If you do this, this is likely to happen. I want us to learn how to live underneath those things and do things differently so you don't just fall into the predictable patterns that govern so much of the world in which we live. It's gonna be frustrating at times. You ever get frustrated when people don't see what you see the first time, right? I say, how can you think? Like, it's frustrating. Um, it will feel foreign. There's gonna be tension. And here's the thing, 
a lot of us, right, we, we particularly in our modern era, we, our, opera, our, our, our default thoughts are to eliminate tension and to create and ensure comfort. And while in theory, we recognize that comfort and opportunities and those things should be available to everybody, we sort of see that as being too big of a task and we just resolve to ensure it for ourselves. We just sort of buy in and just go, well, I'll just take care of me and my tribe. And therein becomes another sort of way in which the world works. And so this idea that we've been pulled out and we're sent back to bear witness, to serve, and here's what he goes on to say, for the extension of his kingdom, the building up of Christ's body and the glory of his name. And then the statement continues on, it reads this. It says, we confess with shame that we have often denied our calling and failed in our mission by two things, by one becoming conformed to the world or withdrawing from it. And it's easy to think, both of these, right, to, to conform to the world, which is which, and, and both of these are very available and very accessible all the time. They're often even appealing, right? If you don't wanna wage culture war, you just buy in, just whatever, it's all fine. You just let it, let it sort of shape us, it'll be fine. And if you don't like that, then you just sort of wage war, you pull away from it, just say, well, they can do what they wanna do. I'm gonna do, do my thing over here with the people who already think and act like me. And what happens in this sort of way is we end up with these culture wars that continue on and just generation after generation after generation after generation, just new ammunition, just different generations. And so <clears throat> I want us to consider something differently. We've talked with this a lot, this idea that we are being formed. Uh, Paul writes this, it's one of my go-to verses that I just keep in front of me often. It's Romans chapter 12, verse one and two. It says, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Offer your, your flesh, your whole person as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That, we, that, that our first posture is God in view of your graciousness and generosity and mercy to me, to invite me into your way of life. I'm gonna offer my, my whole life back to you. And it actually continues on, says, for this is your spiritual act of worship. This is, this is what you do as a human being. And then he adds this warning, do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be shaped and formed by the patterns of this world. Be transformed by setting our minds on things above, cluing back in to where it is that Christ reigns and taking our cues from him. Because in doing this, then you'll be able to test, to discern, to approve what it is that God wants, what he intends, his will, his good, his pleasing and perfect will. I used to use this verse to help me decide where I was supposed to go to college, right? Because that was his perfect will, right? Where am I going to go to school? This is as much as I had. But the more I kind of get into this, the more I see that the, the longer this sort of train begins to run. In order for us to learn how to live, to resist being conformed to the patterns of this world, it's gonna require something much different from us than what we're used to. We need a level of dependence. We need a level of cooperation. We need a level of trust that is not normal in this world. So here's what that means. If we really try to do this, it is not going to match so much of what we see in the world around us. We're not gonna be able to take our cues from what's happening in the world. We're gonna have to take them from somewhere else. And that's what I'm advocating and asking of us. We spent the last few weeks trying to reorient our view, talking about my one word and helping us pick a word so we can see some things, that we wanna learn how to live our lives under the rule of his love. We wanna learn how to live 
in this way of life as it becomes more normal and less foreign. And let's be honest, to do the kind of things that Jesus asks of us feels very foreign when we first hear about it. It's gotta become more normal and that happens over time, in time, over time. We talked about this over the last week. And a lot of us have grown up sort of thinking that the purpose of God in our world, the purpose of God in our life is to help us to be morally compliant to the degree and responsible to the degree that we become good American citizens. And that's sort of the vision. I remember thinking about my own life growing up. I don't, I don't mean any, anything disparaging. We're talking more about this in just a moment. But I look back over my life. I grew up in the, in the 80s. Um, I know, moment of silence, take, tip your hat. I grew up in the 80s. Um, I, I lived through the 90s. I raised kids through the 90s. And um, much of my church experience, it was, it was very good, nothing, nothing bad, very good. But as I look back, maybe uh, 20 years sort of later, I look back and thought, what was the mission of the church that, and I don't mean my church little, but the church that I experienced, what was the mission of that church? Based on what I heard on the radio, because there was no internet back then, wait, I, heard on the, I listened to you know, preachers on the radio, our radio shows, what was the purpose of the church? And what it seems to be is that the purpose of the church was to return America to its Christian roots. And that was just what I inherited. And I, that's not inherently bad. It's just, we have to ask ourselves, is there something more? The more I've immersed myself, my word last year was imagination. I tried to read a lot of the scriptures. I've, I've finished my year with my word imagination. I've read a lot from the Psalms, a lot from the poems of, of Isaiah, a lot from these places. And tried to understand and tried to see what it is that they were longing? They were not longing to return to anywhere. There were, there were points in time when they longed for that, but most of the vision was forward. What is They're not trying to return anybody to anything. They're trying to long for what God has for them, what is still to come, what is yet to come. And you begin to see this all throughout this idea. In fact, um, a lot of the prophets, this is from Isaiah, a lot of the prophets would write these, they're very provocative uh, poems and they're written. They're written as poems for a reason. They're written poems to 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 make us enter into them, to make us consider them. Not just they're not instruction manuals to give us the quickest way to understand what they're saying. They want us to invite us in to see something, to feel something. That's what art and and poetry and these kind of things do. And the poets, I mean, and the prophets wrote like this provocatively to awaken us, to push us, to sow some dissonance and discord in us. And here's how it begins, this is their, their longing for something to come. This is from about 800 BC, the prophet Isaiah is writing this, about 200 years before Daniel. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From its roots, this is, this is not David. David is the root of Jesse, the son of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. There is one who is to come. It's gonna be in the line of the king of David. It's gonna take on this role as a king. And he's gonna be filled with the spirit. And he's gonna have all wisdom and all understanding. These are all references that the gospel writers would use to describe Jesus and who he was. There, there are actually places in Daniel that Jesus took upon himself as titles to identify himself with the one they were looking for and waiting for. This is all kind of in there as you sort of, sort of process this. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness, he will judge the needy. 
With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. He will break uh, with the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt. Faithfulness, the sash around his waist. And then it starts to paint a picture. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. We've all read Little Red Riding Hood, right? That's not what happens. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. And it's just painting this picture that isn't like the world we live in. And it's all imagery. The cow will feed with the bear. The young, their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw with the ox. We've seen National Geographic. That's not how this works. We know this. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put its hand into a viper's nest. And they will neither destroy nor harm anyone on the holy mountain. There's this picture, right? Isaiah would talk about beating our swords into plows. There's all this imagery. Then he says this, and on the earth, I'm sorry, there will be no harm for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover his sea. And in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. And it's this picture of something that is to come. This, this, this rule, and, and the way I thought is, I'm gonna give you these two, two sentences, two statements. Number one is that the final justice, which is what we long for, right? What we're talking about is this final justice when everything is made finally right. Final justice comes from the justice, from the healing justice, of God's kingdom. A lot of us think final justice doesn't come by evening the score. Final justice, this is what the gospel did once and for all when Jesus gave himself to absorb all that humans had done. He created a new way to make room for his healing justice. What I think of justice is that this is a return and that this is the whole picture of Isaiah that everything is rightly related to everything else. This is how This begins to unfold. So Daniel chapter one, I wanna read this relatively quickly. 600 BC, uh, Babylon has besieged Jerusalem, surrounded it, choked off supplies, so they're all starving to death, and now they're beginning to plunder the city. Verse one, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim of Judah into his hand. So so Jerusalem is surrendered. uh, Along with some of the articles of the temple of God. And these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put them in the treasure of his God. So he goes in and he basically takes all the sacred items from the temple, plunders them and just puts them smack in the center of the temple of their gods. I mean, this is like, you know, nan and booby. This is all that stuff. I mean, he just just sticks it to him. Verse three. The king ordered. I was thinking of other things, but I couldn't say them. The king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his official courts, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal seed. The word is the royal seed. It's the same seed of Jesse. It's the same. It's all the the royal seed and nobility. Verse four. Young men without any physical defect. Handsome, uh, the, the literal is good, good for sight, or good looking men, 
showing aptitude for every kind of learning, high SAT scores, quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. And the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And they were trained there for three years. And after that, they would be put into the king's service. This is the plan. And you're going, I don't know what this has to do with anything. I'm about to tell you. They bring them in. They teach them the story. All the Babylonian story. All the Babylonian story. We feed you the Babylonian food. We essentially make you Babylonian. That's what they're doing. That's what's happening. So he goes on. And then this is where the story sort of picks up. Uh, verse six, and this is where you're gonna start to be familiar with this. And among them, they were chosen, these, these seed, these royal, these, these are the cream of the crop they're bringing in to, to indoctrinate, to uh, teach them this way. Among them, they were chosen from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and uh, Azariah. And the chief official gave them new names, Babylonian names. So Daniel, his name was Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. And all of us are probably familiar with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the fire furnace, et cetera, et cetera. We'll get to that later. Verse eight. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission, for permission not to defile himself in this way. How did he know? How did Daniel know he could do this, but not that? The whole point is for him to be indoctrinated, for him to sort of fall, to be conformed to the patterns of the world in which he was going to live. We need a vision. One of my habits has been uh, to read voices uh, from minority authors. Uh, there's a great book called um, Reading While Black by Esau McCauley. He's a scholar uh, at Wheaton College. Uh, the book talks about, it's really about the black narrative, the black perspective on the scriptures. And it's, it's, it's beautifully written. It's a great book. And he talks about this and it's specifically uh, talking about um, the black experience, both theologically in America. And it's, it's, it's really a powerful read. And he talks about this and this is how he concludes this. He talks about this sort of innate tension for us to, to, to exact revenge. And then he pulls back and says, we need something else. We need to see something else. Here's what he says. What brings warring parties of the world together is not the emergence of a new philosophy of government. It is not free market capitalism. It's not communism, socialism, or democracy. It is a person. It is the root of Jesse. The Bible calls on us to develop a theological imagination within which we can see the world as a community and not a collection of hostilities. Let me pause and ask you, how do you see the world? How do you see the world? It does so, he continues, by giving us a vision of a person who can heal our wounds and dismantle our hostilities. My assumption for this series is this. We have long assumed that we lived in God's kingdom by the simple fact that we lived 
or live in the United States of America. We have long assumed that the trajectory of our lives would be Godward because we have lived and we thought to be a Christian nation. This is proven to be both wrong and quite costly. When we begin to look at this story, I want us to consider for the fact that we do not live in Jerusalem. We live in Babylon. I mean, no indictment on the country we live in. We are, I am grateful to live here. It is the best place for, 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 to live. It is, it's all the things that we value. People have sacrificed. It's so grateful for those things. It just means we have to consider some things about the place in which we live. All of us have heard graduation speeches talking about how you can change the world, right? Well, there's a really famous one. And this story has been used in a lot of graduation speeches over the years. And I think it was originally done by a guy named David uh, Foster Wallace. And the story goes like this. It's kind of a cartoon. He says, there are two young fish and they're swimming along in the water. And there's an older fish who's coming towards them. And this older fish gets upon them and he nods his head and says, hey boys, how's the water? And the two fish continue on for a little ways. And one looks at the other and says, what the heck is water? I'm about to explain this again. <laughs> they're fish, they're in water. The older guy says, hey, how's the water, boys? And the fish go, what is water, right? They don't even realize what they're swimming in. Are, are, are you tracking now? Okay, just making sure. I had to explain this. I'm like, okay, this is. <clears throat> now, I want you to hear me. I'm not the older fish. I'm not. I'm the fish who comes along and says, hey, let's actually answer the question. How the heck is the water? How's the water? How's the water? So we start to think about this. You and I have to ask ourselves, what is the water that we live in? What's the water that we swim in here in the United States of America, here in our particular place where we exist and dwell? What's the condition of the water we swim in? Most of us look and say, what the heck is water? We have no idea what we've been swimming in. What I'm suggesting is, let's actually ask and try to answer the question. What we know, and I think this has probably, it's been going on a lot longer than the last few years, but there's been a lot of markers in my generation and sort of beyond. It's just speeding up faster and faster and faster. That somewhere along the way, we have, we, have, we have forsaken this idea, this call to bear God's image, to bear His image, to live out of the identity that we have been given as image bearers, as those who are responsible for, uh, to him for his creation. And we have swapped it over here with simply being a brand. And this is, every, this is not just young or old, this is everybody. This is everybody. We're a personal, individual brand. It's how we seek employment. It's how we, it's, it's how we do sports teams. Right? It's all about the individual brand and what you can get for your own little thing that you want to build. It's the water, I'm not critiquing it, it's just the water, we're just saying, what's the water we swim in? What has happened as this, is it sort of moved down, as we've sort of exchanged or we've said, you know what, the person that we become is important. I think people believe that, but what takes precedence is that our lives become content to be consumed. And we sort of offer ourselves to other people 
to see if they like what we are portraying. And we will curry ourselves, we'll manufacture and curate content in order to get this thing, this validation, this sense of self or whatever it is. And this was resumes and job advancement 25 years ago. It's all of the social world today. Daniel resolved not to defile himself. As followers, as people who live in a world, how do we learn how not to defile ourselves? How do we learn how to not be conformed? Because this is what is forming us automatically. Without your permission, without your consent, it's just doing it all the time. And so we have to find ways to live differently. Tish Harrison Warren, she's written some books. She's an Anglican priest. She wrote this in an op-ed about this. There's was, there was some incredible books um, written into the shallows. Um, in 1985, I believe, there was a book written called Amusing Ourselves to Death. Um, just so many things have been pointing and inclined to this for so long. But she says, uh, she writes this, to reduce ourselves to brands, however, is to do violence to our personhood. We turn ourselves into products, content to be evaluated instead of people to be truly known and loved. And this runs unchecked. So that now you have teenage boys, middle school, elementary, late elementary, and little young ladies who are offering their bodies in whatever capacity. Sometimes it's just their pictures on their social. They're offering them to be evaluated to be liked or disliked, to be commented on by whoever happens or wants to see. Now, please hear me. I'm not the fish, right? Who said, I like social media. I use it. I'm not saying you shouldn't use it. I am saying you should know why you do. Otherwise, you're gonna become more, it's just gonna, you're going to be formed by something. She goes on, she says this, we convert the stuff of our lives into currency this new way of interacting is driving institutional dysfunction, personal anxiety, and the hollowing out of ourselves. We lose who we are. More importantly, we lose who we've been created to be. What is the water that we are swimming in? It's interesting to me, in Daniel chapter one, verse eight, I'm gonna give you two things and we'll be done. Kind of heavy, isn't it? Um, there is a consequence. There, there is, a, there is a, a way. There's a responsibility and an opportunity for us. We, but we have to be willing to, to step in and take it. Um, I believe that wholeheartedly. I believe that the church is the hope of the world. Um, believe me, I want to make everybody feel better about themselves all the time. But this is, this is one of those moments where there, we have a responsibility and an opportunity. <clears throat> Daniel resolved not to defile himself, which means he had a way to determine, hey, this food, this thing, as appealing as it is, is not for me, according to the way that I'm created and called to live. And more importantly, what God wants to do. It's, 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 it's a, because the, the final justice is God's healing justice. 
that is brought by the kingdom of God coming to bear on the world. He is calling out of the world a people for himself and he's sending us back to bear witness, to bear witness, to, to bring salt and light and leaven into these places subversively. The force of his love acting on the world. That's, that's what we're to do. We have to continually align ourselves with that. And what I would tell you, and this is, this is, this is how you can test yourself to figure out if you should do what I'm suggesting or not. And you just have to test yourself and, and decide if you agree or disagree. But Daniel resolved that he would not do this and he invited the others in his sphere not to do that as well. And what I wanna suggest or ask you is what is the condition of the water that we have been drinking for the last fill in the blank, two years, five years, eight years, one year. What I'm gonna suggest is that the water that we swim in is not healthy. It has not been healthy. If you disagree, that's fine, but you just have to, that's, that's, that's what we're gonna have to kind of pull because that's, what's, that's the shaping, that's what we're swimming in. And then what happens is the Babylonian food looks just fine to us. We have no way to determine that it, we shouldn't. So here's what I noticed about Daniel. I think it's true for us. If we're going to resist conformity, and that, that's kind of the picture here, right? To be conformed to the patterns of this world. I'm not suggesting raise a stink, stick it to the man. I'm saying for you and for me to pay attention to what is forming us, to, to, to no longer be conformed by the patterns of this world, but be transformed. Number one is it requires a personal devotion, a personal devotion. And I think it requires it at a intensity that wasn't, quite, it sounds gonna sound, wasn't as needed because of the drift, but today you, you, without it, you're going to get pulled in. There's just, there's nothing else that's gonna, you have to have a level of personal devotion. Mine is, I wake up in the morning, I read the scriptures, we have devotions online, all kinds of ways that are accessible. I recognize everybody doesn't do what I do, I get that. You have jobs and you're busy and I only work on Sundays, I get all that. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and that was a little, little joke. Um, but, but it just has to be something that you resolve to do. It's interesting when Daniel showed up in Babylon, he's actually accused of this three chapters, four chapters later, five chapters later, that he prayed three times daily to his God. It wasn't like the Babylonian king said, you can't pray and then said, oh, I'm gonna pray and you can't tell me to pray. That's what a lot of people do. It's like, you never done it before, but now that I'm told I can't do it, I'm gonna do it and then be mad that somebody told me not to do it. It's not what Daniel was doing. There's a personal devotion that he possessed as he lived in this way. And it's just a level of care. It's a level of devotion to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, to set our minds on the things above, to renew our mind, whatever is pure and lovely and, 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 uh, and whatever these things, you know, think on these things. I mean, this is the patterns. This is the language of the Bible. The Lord preserves in perfect peace the one whose mind is stayed on him. And you just saturate yourself trying to understand the kingdom to, to set your minds there. And there's a personal devotion. I think a lot of people do this sort of well, pretty well. And this is not a guilt thing. I want you to feel guilty. I just want you to say, hey, I'm gonna start doing this. That's all. And the question I would ask you is, how is your life arranged to tend to your walk? I mean, that's, that's you know, it can be listening to 
the music you listen to on your way to work. It can be the podcast. It can be how you, all these things. But you have to have an arrangement, a way to arrange your life to keep this way in front of you. And number two is this. Number two is trusted others. Trusted others. The emphasis, anyone want to guess what I'm emphasizing? Trusted. Trusted. The way I try to lead our church is simply by going, I'm just asking, the only thing I have is trust. If you don't trust me, right? Because we're never gonna try to convince, we're never gonna argue, we're, never, we're, not gonna, we're just gonna try to operate in a way that asks and invites people to trust. And we're gonna try to live in a way that is trustworthy. That's our, that's our economy. That's what, we, that's what we believe and buy into. And what you need in your life is some trusted others. And I would encourage you to make a list who your trusted others. Because here's how you can gut check yourself. I see you, buddy. We're good. Hey, we're good. We're good. I know. I'm, I'm going way too long, hadn't I? It's great to see you guys, too. So glad y'all are here. Um, I've been through a lot, and we're glad you guys are here today. Um, the thing that I want for you to consider is what happens to you when people push on you, your trusted others push on you. Do you quickly disregard their trust? In our culture, what typically happens is whenever someone says something to us that we don't like or appreciate, our default is, I don't trust you anymore. We use trust as a weapon to get out. And I'll tell you, I've got people around me who've been with me for 15, 20 years. They're not yes men. They're not yes women. They, they say things to me. And sometimes when they say things to me, I don't like them. I say, well, you don't get it or you don't understand. or you're the... And as soon as I start questioning their integrity or, or their, their trust, I have to do a gut check. Because they've demonstrated themselves trustworthy for 20 years. And to think that I can't trust them in this moment because they don't see things the way I do, that's on me. You need trusted others in your life because it's the only way we're gonna find ways to discern at the level that's gonna be required of us to no longer be conformed to the Babylonian food that is going to look so good. So that's what we're gonna do, right? Do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because then you'll be able to discern what God intends for your life and your way in his world, his perfect in his pleasing way. I believe there's so much hope for you and I, so much. There's so much for us to be willing to give ourselves to this, for the sake of what is yet to come that day. And he's using all of this in the meantime, I think, to prepare us for it. Father, would you help us? The water that we swim in um, affects right, what we breathe, the nourishment, the nutrients that we absorb. And Father, I do wanna pause and express gratitude. There are men and women in our congregation who have sacrificed immensely to preserve the freedoms that we have in our country. We are so grateful. Father, those are important callings and stations in our 
culture. But I want you to quicken us to recognize, Father, the water we swim in, to recognize what you are asking of us. And Father, what you want to do to transform us into a more authentic representation of your image and to bring the influence of your love to bear on this world that desperately needs it. Would you do that in us? Would you do that through us? Left all the same of your son, Jesus, who is our king. Amen.